Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. This is the second time I've tried to record this, okay? The first time, I thought I was recording, and I recorded for about an hour. The second time, yeah, you're, you're not going to get that. I'm sorry. So, there's a couple of things I should probably say that I said in the, in the first opening, and I'll get straight to the point. Uh, the Mensa Brothers join me today. You're going to hear them momentarily, because I'm not going to talk very long. Um, and what we talk about is uh, a retired Marine colonel by the name of Jim Bathurst wrote a very pointed letter probably about I don't know I probably saw it about two weeks ago but wasn't around last week so we didn't have time to talk about it so we'll talk about that it has gotten wide circulation in the Marine Corps and um, he takes aim at the Commandant. And it's, uh, I think there's a growing sentiment of discontent in the Marine Corps. I could tell you among the people that I talk to, there is. And so, and we're going to talk about that. So anyway, we'll talk about that. The other uh, event we'll talk about is the Marine Corps announcing that the its fleet of AAVs, um, <clears throat> will no longer go in the water, will no longer deploy. And that is uh, evidently a conclusion the Commandant reached based on the multiple investigations that have been done. Now, here's what I'd like to know. Can you, I mean, so the Amtrak been around for a while, right? But when you own vehicles, be they tanks, LAVs, ships, AVs, helicopters. Um, when they go beyond their service life, there's programs called SLEP, a Service Life Extension Program. And in order to keep these things running the way they're supposed to run, they go through these programs. And essentially, when your a vehicle goes through SLEP, it gets taken down to the metal and rebuilt. So. In the maintenance dollars that get allocated to the various services every year, and let's we'll just pick on B-52s. B-52s are older than the Amtrak, are still a huge part of the Air Force's arsenal. It's still a part of our nuclear triad. Saw service in Afghanistan, dropping conventional ordnance. Now, can you imagine if the Air Force just said, yeah, we're not going to fly B-52s anymore? Uh, What? Wait a minute. What about all the money we've given you? We've invested in that fleet. So to me, there's there's a lot of unanswered questions about, you know, the Marine Corps is given money to maintain this fleet. The Marine Corps was given slept programs, I assume, to extend the service life. How all of a sudden can you tell us that you're just not going to use them anymore? 
So I, I'd really like to know, I'd be as, a, as an elected official, as a congressperson, I'd be really interested to know that. What happened? And how did we get here where this is such a surprise to us? Yeah, so I, I'd kind of like to see the footnotes. And, and on your readiness reporting, were you reporting these red flags that this fleet was in this condition? Can we look at that? And then as we look at it, we say, well, wait a minute. Your reporting did not tell us this. What is going on? So, again, I, to me, the, the, the announcement yesterday, pretty disturbing, right, in, 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 in terms of programs and dollars that were supposed to be spent on maintenance, reporting that was done, and all of a sudden we're not going to put these things in the water anymore. Hmm. The other part of the, the, the statement that you'll hear us talk about is um, <clears throat> the statement that announces this, says the Marine Corps essentially reserves the right to put them back in the water should they so choose if uh, if the situation warrants. So let me get this straight. You're not going to put them in the water. You're not going to drive them in the water. You're not going to train in the water. They're not going in the water. And then all of a sudden in the contingency, you're going to throw them in the water? You, I read that. It's like, what doesn't make sense about this? So, um, yeah, so we're going to talk about that stuff. So because I, this is the second iteration of this, there will be no national anthem. There will be no dedication. And there will be no weather. So without further ado, the Mensa brothers join me here on a Thursday morning right here on your home for them, All Marine Radio. All right, it is Thursday, and joining me are... Uh, are three men that have a lot of fans. Timmy was getting fan mail today. Um, so, yeah, Tim, do you want to talk before I introduce you? You want to talk about your fan mail today? Uh, one of one of our listeners wanted to make sure he got the name of Comanche Empire, the book, right? So I, I sent him a link to the book and, and said, yep, that was that was the book. Yeah, and he said he enjoyed the Mensa Brothers, and I wrote him back. I said I find that amazing, but we do enjoy talking with each other. This is true. Yeah. Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so joining me from McAllen, Texas is Tim Lynch. Tim, how are you? Doing just great, Matt. Uh, Merry Christmas. And Merry Christmas. Uh, how are things in uh, McAllen? Uh, weather is weather is delightful as it as it normally is this time of year. Everybody's uh, the the city's starting to fill up from uh, our friends across the border who come for Christmas, and and the malls are packed and the restaurants are overflowing. Crime is down. So we're good. Okay. Well, that's, that sounds good. That sounds good. Yeah. Joining me yeah, from yeah. someplace in uh, the Midwest is the artist known as Will C. Will is uh, has a big gambling week ahead of him. So, uh, Will, first of all, how are things? Give us a weather update. Interesting weather, I'm told, in, uh, in your, your neck of the woods. Yeah. The, the temperature was 76 degrees, and 20 minutes later it was 56 degrees. After this front blew through and the wind was uh, probably 50 knots and the rain was coming down sideways. So all I can say is thank God for global warming. I mean, 76 degrees in Kansas City on December the 15th. Uh, I've been doing my part. I've been throwing those plastic bottles right in the trash for years. Right. So you all have me to thank for today's weather. <laughs> hey, and I'll say about fan mail. So... Uh, the guy I went to the Army-Navy game was in my class, 85. His father, class of 53, 
retired Navy captain, uh, commanded at least one submarine, I think two, uh, lives down south somewhere now. I talked to him. We talked to him uh, before. We actually talked to him during the game. And uh, he is an avid listener. Uh, he got hooked on it. Submarine captains. Yeah, Who knew? Uh, during the Neo, he got hooked on it uh, to the point that after what was it like eleven straight days? Yeah, he went. He went into a little bit of withdrawal. <laughs> and oh. Think about it, class of fifty-three. He's he's getting on in years. Those are hard symptoms for gentlemen <laughs> of that age to take. So we need to be oh. careful. We've only. I, I mean, man, we've got what? Have, eight it might have been like a now. human. We can't afford to lose any. So you might have been like a human defibrillator for him, though. Yeah. In a good way, you know? Like, clear. <laughs> Still the most comprehensive coverage of the event available to anyone, anywhere, at any time. That was that that was a good one for us, I thought. That I was thought we did a good job. Tim Lynch in his role as Howard Kurtz of uh, of, of All Moon Radio, his media na- analysis. <laughs> of Afghan, of all Afghan coverage of All Marine Radio, yes. Well, I thought well, we no, did but great. We, you know, if there is a war that breaks out in in the Ukraine, as I call it, um, uh, we will be there with our uh, Ops Intel report, our open source Ops Intel, telling you what we know, what we think, and what we don't understand. And uh, and we will be happy to do that. In fact, we're going to do a version of that. Timmy did a lot of homework uh, about the Ukraine, and so we're not going to let that go to waste. So we'll, uh, um, at some point, Will's got his gambling addiction going, so we're going to have to maybe do a short intervention, maybe for an hour over the weekend. Um, and we'll have something next week as well, early in the week. So we have that going for us. So, But anyway, I just want to uh, put a little footnote in there for Tim, um, his very, very devoted research. Tim was devoted to two things this week. One is Jeff Kenny, devoted in an abnormal way to Jeff, and uh, also... Uh, in uh, to the, the Ukraine and researching things relative to the Ukraine. So, Tim, we respect yeah, we, we respect you for one of those things. No, no. The uh, you'll note that I only said I'd spend hours preparing for the Ukraine after you announced that we're not talking about the Ukraine. <laughs> and I'm glad you're not putting me on a spot at this exact moment because so, I need to do a few more hours. Quite frankly, I thought we had a communication thing going here, brother. We understood each other. But, Jeff knew what I was talking about when I said that. He started laughing because oh, he thought you were going to put me on the because, spot. No, because you're a graduate student, and I take that, you know, when you make a you know a statement about your doing research, I take it seriously. I didn't realize you were being a fucking idiot about it. I was just communicating, Matt. You were just. I thought you were I fun. You were fun. I thought in, you were in funning, you were fun of me. I'm just funning, just funning. You were funning. That's exactly what. That's exactly right. So I'll get all that Ukraine stuff in the, in the jiffy. I still don't like the number of wall plates you have over your left shoulder, just for the record. There's too many in a very small space. Custom-built uh, house, my I know, friend. Custom-built house. I know. Boys, the boys here don't speak English, but they can run a plumb line. They, they do good work. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And joining me from Southern California, I think. Uh, yes. Uh, I'm never sure if he's in the Eastern White House or the Western White House, and that is Jeffrey Kenny. Jeff, how are you? Good, thank you. Right. Yeah, I'm here in San Clemente, and uh, just like you up there, it's cold down here. <laughs> relative to the normal. California. Yeah. Now, Jeff grew up in Pennsylvania. When it's in the 30s in California, is it the same feeling as in the 30s on the East Coast? 
No, I grew up in Connecticut, but uh, oh, I spent a lot of time. Shit. Spent 30,000 years in Pennsylvania <laughs> when I was the CEO of ours in Pittsburgh. And uh, the weather in both places can be bitter and cold. Uh, just, it's almost as bad as Quantico sometimes um, in the winter. But uh, So I would say that's good you brought it up, Mac, because as shitty as it gets here, it's never that bad. You know, see, I think uh, it, when it's th- in the 30s here, it, it feels like it's day. like 10. All day yesterday it rained, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was miserable. Yeah, yep, yep, The, um, yeah, I'm in, out of my garage. Actually, I, I put duct tape over the low vents in the garage to try to stave off the 30 degree air from coming in my garage as I sit here attempting to do things. Um, there's been a lot of serious shit, um, and, and we haven't done this um, this version here in a couple weeks, but um, the first one I want to talk about is a letter that circulated um, pretty widely in the Marine Corps, written by Colonel Jim Bathurst, United States Marine Corps, retired. Um, if you look up, uh, if you do a search on We All Die as Marines, it's a book that Colonel Bathurst wrote. He's got a blog, um, and uh, I'll post a link to the letter. But in the letter, he uh, he gets after the Commandant of the Marine Corps pretty good and uh, some of the decisions that the Commandant has made. And uh, in, in a very uh, personal, he makes the attack personal, and uh, as well as the, the policies that, that the Commandant puts out there. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that, and, uh, and I'll just— I'll just preface this by saying that there is a level of um, discord, if I would characterize it, um, I would say in um, the officer uh, corps, both retired and active, um, that is palpable. Um, It's very uneasy, and I don't think people feel comfortable even talking about it. Uh, we've talked on the program before about uh, not one retired general officer has come out and spoken in favor of, of General Berger's force design. Is it 2030 or 2035? 2030. So nobody, no retired general officer has come out in favor of it, and there are those that actively oppose it on Capitol Hill. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on Colonel Bathurst's letter in terms of maybe not the specifics of the letter, but this 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 um, discord that it is in the air. And uh, so, Timmy, uh, your thoughts. Uh, I mean, you grew up, I mean, you're no stranger to the things that we didn't grow up with. I mean, your dad was a general officer, and so you've seen a part of the Marine Corps. Like Will has seen the E-ring. Uh, you have seen kind of the, the, the way general officers work and do this kind of stuff. Uh, your thoughts. I mean, you read the letter, obviously, and, and uh, um, your father, general officer, so... What say you? It's a, it's it's an alarming letter because of everything that the Colonel Bathurst is pointing out to the Commandant are things that have been bought up repeatedly by many people in many different places at many different times. My understanding from the retired general circuit, as limited as that would, would be, is that he has repeatedly been contacted by very senior retired flag officers and who have tried to inject some of their experience and knowledge 
into his decision-making process, and they've been uniformly ignored. Thus, we get poor decisions like uh, folding up all of our tanks and we don't get the money back, which is exactly as predicted. I believe, Mac, you predicted that for, for that matter. Didn't take a, a retired general to see that one coming. So now you have a, a Colonel Bathurst who's no who's well known. He's got uh, he's he's published a, a pretty a pretty good book that was well received. He has a blog. He has been in the national news before writing letters to General Mattis and just a few years back. Um, um, and so this letter to the commandant was was a, a shot across the bow, very personal, but I got it from from you. I then I got it from my dad. Then I got it from somebody else. I think goddamn Rainbow got it in Africa and sent it to me. I mean, it came it was everywhere. And then Jeffrey says, Holy smokes, everybody on this base is reading this letter. So it is a letter that was widely disseminated. I would I would think that most Marines heartily agree with it. And this is a horrible position for the Marine Corps to be in, to have a commandant who uh, uh, is 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 not being perceived as having the intentions for the Marine Corps that he should have. And that's basically what he's being accused of. And that's that's harsh and it's alarming and it's unprecedented in, in my in my experience. And there's been unpopular commandants in the past. And there's been some machinations and some bullshit, but it always stayed inside the core. That shit never leaked out. And and quite frankly, the what I'm thinking of, and I'm forgetting the two commandants, the one who tried to rig his successor's election, um, that was that was taken care of by active duty generals uh, uh, putting the kibosh to that bullshit. And so um, it, this is unfortunate because there's there's nothing good that's going to come of this. Nothing good. So, and, and, so let me ask you. So, in your opinion, this letter betrays what a sense of boiling over of uh, this sentiment that I've watched this and watched this, and I can no longer be silent. Um, what is this? It, 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 and it does. And of course, he hits the recruiting uh, uh, part very hard, and he was very effective as a recruiter because I, I know that because he worked for the old man who knew him. Uh, remembers him from his when he was in charge of the Eastern Recruiting yep. Region. Yep. Yeah, so so it's not only is it a direct shot, it's a well-informed direct shot. And those of us who have been on recruiting, we could, Jeff's already said, the points that he brought out, Jeff's already said. So this is now out there. It's hugely public. Everybody in the press saw it. Everybody in Congress or their staffers has seen it. It's penetrated the entire Marine Corps, and it's not good. It's it's uh, um, it's 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 just not good. I I and I'm not criticizing Colonel Bathurst. Uh, I think he did what he felt he ha he had to do. And if I could write as eloquently as effectively, I would do the same. Uh, so I'm on his side. But this is a horrible situation for for our corps to be in. It's just it's just there's no good I see in, in on the horizon right now. Uh, Will your thoughts? Yeah, I I think there's sort of two um, sets of criticism. Um, one is sort of the, the outside view, which is um, public type stuff that Colonel Bat Bathurst talks about. Um, the, you know, changing of standards, i.e. they, we have a, we now have a Marine who happens to be a Sikh who's allowed to have different grooming standards. Um, the, 
idea that we're going to recruit people that are not going to end up going to boot camp or officer candidate school. Um, this, the, the, um, relaxation of female grooming standards, the extended maternity leave. So if you take a, a population of retired Marines who, who sort of came to the Marine Corps for the challenge and then completely bought into the ethos, those public things really chip away at what they view as, as part of who they are now. So I think that there is significant sort of uh, public uh, of the retired community in particular that focuses in on those things. I also think that where Colonel Bathurst really didn't talk about, I think there is significant uneasiness amongst um, some more of the intelligentsia of the retired Marine Corps just about the whole force design. Um, you know, end strength has always been sacred to the Marine Corps because if you allow the force uh, to, to de decrease to a certain point, uh, it just becomes easily absorbed or irrelevant. Your budget is really just budget dust and it, and it makes the Marine Corps disappear. Uh, and also the force design really seems to be compromising on the idea of force and readiness. You know, the we are the force that's ready when the rest of the nation isn't. And a lot of the decisions that seem to be being made now really diminish capability. Um, thank tanks. Uh, I think we're going to talk about uh, assault amphibian vehicles maybe later. Um, and reorganization of infantry regiments to be seemingly narrowly focused. So you have those two different um, uneasinesses. I don't know if that's a word, if you can have multiple uneasiness. Um, uneasy, that, uneasy nigh? Maybe. Uh, that come together that bring, Concerns. that bring the, not just retired, but veteran Marine, the, the four-year guy who changed his life because of what the Marine Corps made him do, as well as the, you know, when I, I think of the Zinni Van Riper intelligentsia of the retired Marine Corps coming together, um, it's it's not good. And, you know, something interesting I learned in Colonel Bather's letter, I, I didn't know that uh, the CG of uh, recruiting command had sent anything out to the retired Marine community oh, yeah. to have them, you know, to try and be recruiters. I thought that that was always an implied mission of veteran Marines and retired Marines is to be a Marine recruiter. And just in my own personal experience in that, um, it, 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 uh, it's troubling to be, to me, to not be as enthusiastic about recruiting uh, the next generation as perhaps I was five years ago. I'm, I'm very well satisfied with what I did in the Marine Corps and what the Marine Corps did for me. Absolutely. Um, and I would like to think that I was, uh, while I was busy, uh, you know, 
trying to make a living, I also tried to be a bit of a blinking node for the Marine Corps. And I got to say my node has dimmed recently um, for a lot of reasons. And and uh, it was interesting to me that Bathurst sort of put that out. I can't say I had ever gone and counseled someone not to join. Um, but I think my pitch has changed in the last couple of years. If I talk to people about coming in and, uh, you know, as I reread that letter, it sort of struck me. I, I was at the army Navy game last week and, and, uh, I'm not a big fan of the Naval Academy for a lot of things. Um, but I got to tell you, it was, re- it, it's really something to be there and be, be part of all those old guys hanging around the game. People have been going to this for years and years. I think of my sponsor as a class of 47 who used to take, he and my grandfather used to watch the game or listen to it in Santiago, Chile. My grandfather was an ROTC graduate and was a number two Naval Academy fan there because he just hated West Point uh, as a, as an army career army <laughs> officer and of them going to the game. And when I first went to the game in Philadelphia, in 1981 and we tied three to three and it was about 30 degrees i remember and it's just great but it doesn't mean i recruit people to go to the naval academy i I think there's some things that need to be fixed and i'm starting to get that same feeling about the marine corps and that's troubling right i mean it was only our professional adult life it's troubling and bathurst puts it down on paper if i could offer him one criticism i would have just eliminated the last line in the letter. He didn't need to do that. Um, but other than that, I, I think there's a lot there. You know, um, as, as one of the things we talked about, I want to say about a month ago, is what makes the Marine Corps great, right? High standards. Commitment to, to things more difficult and things harder, right? Um, and if, if I could, the thing that, that dims my, my candle, my light, is this impression that we have consistently come, those standards have come down, right? And that other things are more important than our excellence. And uh, and being, obviously, we're not a force in readiness anymore. We don't do windows anymore, right? We only do certain things. We used to, you know, hey, <clears throat> you know, we do windows. It's what we do, you know, any time, any place, any climb, any place, it's us. And so to me, it's that, that notion of excellence first. And we talked about it relative to diversity, right? What makes the Marine Corps great? And that is that commitment to high standards and the relentless pursuit of victory. Diversity can make all of that stronger, right? As Americans, we believe that. Okay, but when diversity right, trumps excellence, what you see is the lowering of standards. And to me, that's what I fear is that that's what, that's what we're seeing. And that to me is a huge concern. And so I say that, uh, Jeff, uh, your thoughts on Colonel Bathurst's letter. Well, I think, uh, yeah, his bona fides are, are tremendous. You know, Colonel Bathurst, uh, was one of the, that crew with, uh, Colonel Fox and, uh, Herbert Lovingood or Howard Lovingood, who uh, they were, you know, prom- promoted out of the staff and sail ranks for combat com- competence in Vietnam. And then later, you know, he uh, 
I never knew he did a tour on recruiting duty, but he was in a rough place at a rough time, Chicago, you know, and uh, pulled through that. And so he has an appreciation for what it takes to actually get young men to join the, join the Marine Corps, join our service. And then uh, he was in a fast group. Those battalion commanders, 8th Marines, when I was a second lieutenant. There was him, uh, the guy who preceded. We had Colonel Blackman for most of the time, most of my first half of my time in 3-8. And Colonel Blackman was preceded by a guy who was a very tough guy, uh, became a, a general, General Bice, exacting guy. And uh, and, and then we had we – had, uh, uh, Jan Hewley was one of the battalion commanders. Um, um, Mike or Broderick was one. General Hagee was one of those battalion commanders at that time. And uh, so, he, you know, he and he's held his own in a good crew. And he was well known for, you know, he's a chesty puller type guy. And uh, that letter he wrote was very eloquent. And I thought all of it was. And uh, he's finally the first one to go at what's the true motives, not only for the force design, but also for the Basically, uh, it's almost like an indictment pointed at uh, the way the Marine Corps has been, and somehow we were flawed. Somehow we had our we had the wrong priorities. We weren't paying attention to large chunks of the population in the United States, and uh, you know, and, and the implication by some of the commandant's writings are that uh, we need to get better at uh, things that have nothing to do with combat readiness. Embracing, you know, uh, Will mentioned most of them. You know the. Uh, maternity leave stuff, which basically robs the Marine Corps of a, if someone's enlisted, almost, almost half their enlistment is tied up in maternity leave. And, uh, it's just, you know, we, we exist to accomplish missions, not to have babies. That's an ancillary point. You know, your personal life comes second to the missions that we get, you know, and, and, uh, and Colonel Bathurst reminded him of that and also or was trying to remind him of that. And, and it's also useful to note that uh, General Gray came out, you know, out, out and in support of, of Colonel Bathurst shortly after that with a letter of his own. And uh, so and, and Will's comment about the angst that, that you see in the retired community is real. And uh, people are not happy. They they feel that that force and readiness thing that uh, that has been mentioned by all three of you guys before I started talking, that idea of a force and readiness has been uh, turned into a force for one mission, for one contingency. And they see that as a, that and the end state thing that Will mentioned as a threat to our existence as a service in, the, in not too long run. Things happen fast nowadays. We could go away. You know, we could go away. And because, uh, because of some, some, just from lack of adherence to marine principles that we've been going by, for the whole 20th century, it's kept us going, kept us alive. When cold logic says they don't, the world, the Marine Corps doesn't need, or the United States doesn't need a Marine Corps. That's the cold logic of it. But the truth is, you know, we exist because we're too good to get rid of, we're too useful in anything. And if we get to where we're not, it's easy to get rid of us. When we'll be a couple of other regiments, you know, or, or brigades in the U.S. Army. You know, with like the guys who wear their cowboy hats, the guys who wear, you know, their black bird will be one more, you know, guys clinging to the remnants of a once proud tradition. And we don't mm-hmm. want that. The country doesn't want that, I don't think. You know, the uh, the thing the commandant said about about the Marine Corps needed to look more like the nation, 
that really offended me mm-hmm. because um, when you look at the data, I, I feel like he misrepresented the data. Yeah. You know, the Marine Corps does a fantastic job. When you look at senior enlisted side of the Marine Corps, um, they they grow numbers that are pretty approximate to the population to the point where, you know, Hispanic and black um, senior, you know, staff NCOs make up 40% of the Marine population, yet they're only 29% of the American population. Well, I mean, that doesn't come through in his comments, you know, and 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 so to me, I, I I felt like, you know, he misrepresented what the Marine Corps is. That our our program and, and Will's been very articulate about this. In that, you know, what does Congress see? They see our general officers, and they want to see, you know, greater representation of minorities in that. Okay, so how many people are we talking about at the general officer level? And so, why don't we discuss the problem in 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 actual terms and that i i found that i found that very disturbing because the the impression you're left with is is this marine corps that is not interested you know in in people of every race every creed and that's that's not the case and and the same thing with females you could want to grow the female portion of the marine corps but as long as our physical fitness standards are what they are, that's daunting for a woman, right? That's daunting. And so is that really what you want to do? And so the, the Marine Corps is a tough sell because of its high standards. So if you want to expand those numbers, guess where guess where the standards will go? South. Yep. Yeah, I would say, too, you know, when, when you're the, the senior leader, and you say that we need to do a better job. Let's not use we. Who needs to do a better job? Very good. Are you, Very good. Are you saying that people in those promotion boards for the last 20 years have been racist, misogynistic, etc.? If that's what you're saying, let's say it. And oh, by the way, you sat on those promotion boards. I don't think General Berger went through 35 or 40 years in the Marine Corps and never sat on a promotion board. Was his the only board that wasn't racist and misogynistic? So I, I, I find those I find those things really troubling, to say the least. He's been the commandant a couple of years now. He writes a letter that starts out every promotion board. He puts the people on the board. Manpower selects them. He approves them. Did he approve a bunch of racists? Is that why we're not promoting people? That, that's really what he's saying. And when you say it that way, doesn't it sound utterly ridiculous? Yeah. And some of the more strident criticism, he, everything Will said is absolutely right. But some of the more strident criticism of the commandant is, well, he's not really talking to us when he talks. He's talking to somebody else. But we're but we're his guys. We're his guys and gals, you know. And when he says stuff about us, he's talking to somebody else. He wants to make them think, yes, I, I, you're in power now, and so I'm going to tell you what you want to hear, and I'm going to give you my, my way of getting out of this mess that you say we're in. And if that's the case, 
it's just not the way our best commandants have been, Wilson and Barrow and General Gray, they were outstanding communicators to sergeants and below. And as a matter of fact, that's who they were commandants for, for those sergeants. They were going to try and make it easier for them to do their already very, very difficult job, not harder. Because every time you put a dumb policy in place or policy that's in place because of optics, really it comes down to some E5 or E4 or O1 or O2 who has to, who has to actually make it work. And if they don't make it work, they suffer fit rep wise. Fit rep wise, if they're, and know, if you think about it, right? Why would the commandant be the commandant for the sergeant and the lieutenant? Because those are the people that do the mission. Yes, that's exactly it. They actually do all the shit we brag about. Well, I mean, I, I just you know, there's a a uh, audio I play uh, a, a quote from General Mattis when I interviewed him. And he talks about the number one job of a leader is you have to love them, right? And he said, if you want to know who pays the price and who you need to love, all you got to do is go to Bethesda, PFC here, Lance Corporal there, Corporal there, Sergeant there, Lieutenant there, right? Staff Sergeant over there. It's those ranks that pay the price. And that's who you have to love. That's who you have to pay attention to. And 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 again, I just think when you're less than candid and that and Jeff made well, so who's he talking to? Right. He's talking to all of us, whether he cares about it or not. Whether he knows it or not, you're right. Right. Yeah. And and so when you characterize the Marine Corps a certain way, and 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 we know how hard this organization it works, right? Uh to be fair. But the bottom line is what makes the Marine Corps great is our high standards and our relentless pursuit of those high standards. That's what makes us great. And we don't give a shit about color. We don't give a shit. It, does, it simply doesn't matter. If you can do it, then the fuck in there, Matt. That's the only thing that's ever mattered. And so, and again, if you're going to talk about those issues, my my preference is, you, you ought to characterize them in a very, very crystal clear way. Make no mistake about this. Boom, but, boom, but boom, can't. boom. Why? He, he, because he's servicing a narrative that has no corresponding touch points in reality. What happened to the last winter's great stand down and, and hunt a white supremacist and intolerant, nasty Caucasians? What was the end result of all that nonsense? All the same thing that was, Nothing. you know, the, I mean, the we, same thing that came no up to me. The uh, the big picture picture scandal, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, it, yeah. It, 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 no it winds up being, you know, a handful of people that get impacted in an organization of a quarter million people, and then yeah. this is what sucks the oxygen out of the room, right? Instead of instead of talking about excellence, and the commandant's job, in my humble opinion, is to reduce friction. What Jeff is talking about, about effective communication to junior enlisted leaders, our NCOs and staff NCOs, reducing friction by what you're telling them to do and how you're running things. He's taken on board this Herculean task of turning the Marine Corps into some kind of, I'm not sure what it is, is the end result, some type of royal commander-like force. Who asked him to do that? Nobody. It's I, 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 don't, I don't understand where he decided to come up and create this problem that he's now solving 
But of course he can't talk honestly and openly about it because it's bullshit. I mean, it, it just is. And well, I'm sorry, I guess that's being a little bit uh, harsh because you know, I, I mean, I don't know. Unlike you guys, I, I've never met uh, a Kamarad Berger. I, I mean, I know everybody he knows. We all came up along the same time. I don't understand where his vision of the Marine Corps got he, so diametrically opposed to ours. He and JP. I, I don't know. He and JP'd me just for. I, I, oh, I knew that. Oh, I know that. Just, I knew just, that all along. Just, just for the record. No, right. but I don't. I don't know the guy, and I know he was good to Jeff. But I'm. I'm no, he's. You, I'll tell you, he's very. He's, weird. He's, I don't understand. He was what he's very gracious. Doing. He was very gracious to me. And uh, yeah. so let me ask you this: I, I want to talk about uh, something that was written about General Madison and and some quotes of his next. Um, but let me ask you this final question: um, this uneasiness that we talked about, which I think we would all say is substantial. Are we going to see more letters like? Colonel Bathurst wrote, do you think, Tim? Will we see more yeah. of that? Well, well, actually, I think it was Will or Jeff when we were warming up mentioned that they, they perceive things as an existential threat. I was leaving that alone because that's a good, big, sophisticated word for me to drop. But seeing how nobody wanted to pick up where they follow up with that, I think that we all perceive his actions as an existential threat to the Marine Corps. You lose, the Marine Corps becomes irrelevant. We're no longer immortals. We're Marines. And it's our it's our claim to immortality. Nobody will ever remember who the hell Tim Lynch was or, or Mike McNamara, you know, 100, 200 years ago, but they'll remember who Marines were. That's sort of like the thing that we that keeps us going. I think that's why we we cherish and love the organization so much. But, and, and so so, do, you, so do you think that we will see more letters like Colonel Bathurst? Yes. Okay. Oh, I, I suspect I suspect you'll see a lot more. I just don't know that they're going to be able to get published and get that kind of circulation because that thing went viral quick. Yeah. Well, very quick. Well, your thought. Yeah. I don't know if there'll be more public letters, but I, I got a feeling there's going to be some serious headbanging going around um, as the next commandant of the Marine Corps uh, gets selected. Uh, I think that, I think that the secretary of the Navy We'll be hearing from people. I think the Secretary of Defense will be hearing from people. The question is, how much influence do any of those people have anymore? Uh, and uh, if if some of those, you know, giants of the retired community are still connected in the Senate Armed Services Committee, um, you know, it, it may get more political than the Marine Corps typically is when it comes around to, to who the next commandant is going to be but i don't think uh that that people believe that tim believes that yeah this is you know this is this memory is here forever but also people that believe as jeff articulated earlier the marine corps is foundational to the defense of the country and it has been uh for years it has been the force that's been able to do something now and the the people that think about um you know foreign policy foreign affairs our place in the world and the military's piece of that recognize the criticality of having a force in readiness like the marine corps and the idea that if we were to have two straight commandants on a different path um it may not be recoverable after that 
you get eight budget years in a row um, that are not focused on readiness, fortune readiness, uh, spectrum of conflict, uh, et cetera, then you, you may have doomed yourself forever. And so I, I, there may be more public stuff like this, but I mean, what else can you say? You know, you saw the Bathurst letter, you saw the gray letter. What else can you say? Right. Now is the time for those people who have influence to determine if they're going to try and bring it to bear. Um, and I think that's a hard thing for them to do because I think a lot of people in the retired community, I, I try and include myself in that and that, Hey, look, I know, I don't know what the hell's going on today. I retired eight years ago. Um, and I try not to be that old guy who knows everything. Right. I haven't told anyone to get off my lawn in like three weeks. All right. I know it's hard to believe, but <laughs> no, I it's not. You're a gambler. You sleep all day. We know but, what the hell's going on. But I, but at some point, <laughs> those sort of giants um, are going to have to figure out, is, is this worth me getting involved in something that I don't particularly care to do, but I feel, um, you know, we're looking into the abyss. I don't want to go there. So I sense that may come up. Okay, so let me, if I throw the, for people who, who haven't heard and we haven't mentioned it yet, but um, the Marine Corps announced yesterday that the AAV will no longer go in the water unless there's something crazy that happens, then we're going to put them in the water. Then we're going to put them in the water. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. And then the other thing that the Commandant said is, I will sacrifice end strength, right, to build these light amphibious. So, so you have two more pieces um, that have got thrown in there. So do you think that makes a difference when people... Huge. Absolutely. The, 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 the commandants since Korea have insisted on that amphibious forcible entry capability. Uh, it's been... It's been in every testimony up through at least 2013, I'm pretty sure. And that's when I retired. Uh, and we see that as an absolute fundamental. We don't believe that the 82nd Airborne is a forcible entry capability. And that the, that the, the country, 330 million of us with a $700 billion defense budget, should be able to put two regiments ashore wherever we want, whenever we want, any climb or place. And the other thing is end strength. Um, you know, end strength is tough because people are very expensive. And we don't know where the bottom number is, but I think there's a lot of people that sense end strength can slide down and slide down and the slope is gradual and then it's right off the cliff and disappear. And is that number 160K active duty, 150, 140? I don't know. But I got to tell you something, that was the absolute third rail. The idea that we're going to go below 170 or 172,000, when at the time we were at 203,000 and we knew we had to come down, go below 170, there would have been blood in the E-ring right outside the commandant's door. You cannot do that. And I think all the retired commandants would have marched in there with, uh, you know, swords drawn, bayonets fixed. If the if the current if the commandant of the time had proposed that, and it seems like we just publicly said we'll take a cut in end strength, 
Shit, look at what the cuts that the Army and the Navy have taken in the last 10, 12, 14 years. When they hear cutting end strength, they, they're not thinking the Commandant's talking 3,000 people. They think the Commandant's talking 25,000. Now you're down in the 140s. Right. It's really hard. It's really hard. All right. Jeff, um, uh, will this grow? Well, I mean, will we see more letters like uh, like Colonel Bathurst? Yeah, we'll, we'll see more communications like this on, on the many subjects more focused on Colonel Bathurst hit the broad spectrum, but I think you'll see focused ones on certain issues, especially like uh, things he mentioned about recruiting, you know, that philosophy uh, and the, uh, the whole thing about lowering the standards and, and particularly the uh, force design. I have to tell you, though, a um, little history lesson, memory reminder for you guys. Uh, they tried to float the idea of 154,000-man Marine Corps in 1993. We had General uh, Marty Steele come and try and sell that to uh, – they're trying to sell it to people. Oh, that, shit. I know. remember that. And uh, when Krulak got selected to be commandant, somebody had a talking to him because he totally did a 180 on that. They were there going to have that uh, combined arms regiment. Combined arms regiment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember that. You know? It just went away. And I think for the reasons Will said – those guys uh, who retired guys had a lot more sway because they've been fighting this battle since between, since after the Second World War, since that chowder club and all that shit, since Korea, you know, and uh, and so forth. I have to tell you, though, uh, the dis most disturbing thing about this is the personal aspects to me because I know General Berger. I worked directly for him uh, at 29 Palms, and he never made a stupid decision. He never was arbitrary. He was compassionate and concerned about the enlisted folks there. And this is like a, it's stunning to me the way this not only is not so much the idea of it, but the way it's being uh, published to the public and to the Marine Corps, you know, there's that. And that goes to another point about guys like General Mattis and General Neller. Um, these are guys who I know who did stuff for me. I mean, I, I, they got me promoted. I think to Curly wrote letters for me and, uh, but I just don't agree with some of the things that have happened, you know, in, in the last few years. And without hitting it too hard, you know, it's a, um, you know, it's a, it's disturbing, you know, because we know these guys, you know, and it's like, uh, um, it's like, hey, can we just talk? Can you explain to me what this is without the lawyer, without the smart guy, you know, whoever it is, <laughs> some uh, latter day Bill Lind. You know, with a with an ascot, who's this is his idea, and he can sell it. You know, because we if we're on a force in readiness, we ain't nothing. That's our bread and butter. That that thing in Korea is almost more impressive from August until you know until um, you know Christmas time, nineteen fifty. That was fucking amazing. Shit, look and at Grenada. So much about being ready. It was having that attitude and doing what had to be done. Pulling guys out of Guam, Marine Barracks, pulling guys out of gas, got gas, guys who own gas stations in Brooklyn, and you know who are working. Guys going, guys going to recruit training on the boats on the way yeah. over, and then that's fucking crazy. Guys learning yeah. how to drive tanks that they would take into combat in baseball stadiums in Tokyo because yes. they had they hadn't got what was it the uh, 
the M26, uh, the, the, the Persian. Yeah, the Pershing tank. They hadn't they hadn't seen that yet. They they were they were they were training on the Sherman. They mm-hmm. they got the the Pershing tank on the pier in San Diego. They sat yeah. in them on the way over. They drove them around these stadiums, and then they got off and then they fought in them. I mean, yeah. that's what Jeff's talking about. Those those guys went ashore in Korea. You know. So, but, that's, but look at what we wanted, and then what Will was saying, and Tim to a certain extent, the idea of being able to hurl two regiments at any any you know problem. I mean, we did that in Beirut. They 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 sent in Eighth Marines in 1958, and then two eight in 1983. This is before Muse, you know, uh, grenade in Beirut, and we're the ones who are ready to do stuff. The other guys had issues because they just didn't have that constant, you know, red hot coal in the back of their brain. We always got to be ready. And it's stupid inspections we did for ACB where every toothbrush was inspected and you're there with all your shit laid out, you know, in a parking lot. And then you got it and you went to Arkansas or someplace like that (laughs) to see if it would work. Yeah, that was the type of that's that's us. That is us. And, and it's even more than that. There's so many times that don't make the history books. Yes. Um, Bosnia, you know. Because you're the, there. The army coming out of Germany couldn't get across a bridge. Um, the Blackhawks that were going to take, you know, six months to get deployed and mission capable. Uh, no Marine would have stood for I mean, we went to the Dominican Republic. Who even remembers that? Right. There was another war going on. Um, So those things are absolutely critical to to what the country is. And you don't get it because you just say so. You actually got to pay for it. And we have for years and years and years. We think it's good for us. It's really good for the country. And our performance in Grenada was so superlative that they reorganized SEAL and Ranger training. I mean, Army training entirely. They came up with light infantry divisions trying to unscrew themselves. Had we not been there with our with the Mao, then called Mao's, there's a good chance they would have thrown those Rangers back into the sea off that stinking thing with a bunch of construction workers who happen to have a 50 cal or two. Unbelievable. And, 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 and our performance there was so superior, we had to, as an institution, not talk about it for a while, if you'll remember. I mean, it was it was that. Well, and, and that again, uh, one of the rubs when you talk to retired general officers, uh, and I'm lucky because of this program. I've met a bunch of them, and 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 they trust me not to repeat what they say, and and I don't. But um, the Marine Corps has always maintained that force and readiness to show its value to the nation. Right? We we're going to yep. give you the, the the most for the least. And when the, you know that old saying, when the nation's least ready, the Marine Corps will be the most ready, and we will go to any climate place, and we will get it the fuck on, and we'll stay there till we win. And that um, that credo that we live by, that excellence that we aspire to, that harder life that that we lived, you know, I think um, the perception was that we are going to be now tailored to one theater. And we will not be able to participate. And it's been said, we are no longer that force in readiness, which is heresy, right? <laughs> which is heresy. It's a gut churn. Right. It's yeah. a gut churn. We are no yeah. longer that force in readiness. And if, 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 if the country went to war in Africa tomorrow, we would not go. 
we would be confined to the littorals. What? And so when you hear general officers who counsel, no, 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 you can't take us there because it diminishes our value. And then you hear that that phrase, you know, we don't have a Marine Corps because the nation need one needs one, right? The, the 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 nation loves the Marine Corps because we are always there. We always provide value, and if we change that, you know, then you may face an existential crisis one day because you don't supply that value anymore, and and. You can hear the concern in their voice, uh, this path that the commandant has let us down. But I, w- I wanted to talk about the, the the Bathurst letter because there is this, I think, un- palpable uneasiness um, with this discussion that's gone on. And a lot of people have buttoned their lip over it. And, and now you see other shoes beginning to fall like, you know, another an end strength cut. The Amtraks won't go into water anymore. And you're seeing things that that and if I was a okay we 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 talked too long about this stuff so let's talk about the Amtrak thing okay. and so let me tee it up for Will Will you've been on here and you you've talked about uh, uh, sorts reports Deer's reports right and you talked about if I was if I was a elected official. I would want to know what the Marine Corps did with all that money that it it was given to maintain this fleet of vehicles. And now you're telling me that you're going to pull the whole fleet out of the water and you're not going to use them unless there's an emergency. And then, I mean, absurdity of absurdities. And then, so you're not going to take them in the water. And then you're telling me that you'll put them all in the water if there's an emergency. Like, I don't think anybody wants to be around for that shit, Joe. Um, after a year, who's going to remember how to drive them? Those guys will all be out. Right. right. CVs. Right. Yeah. And so, and just so, let me um, let me just read you. Uh, the headline is this from Wednesday: Marines, Marines keeping AAVs. Now, again, that's differentiated from the ACV, which is the new version uh, with wheels out of the water permanently. So, this is a statement. Um, the Marine Corps stands by the efficacy of the recommendations that came from the mul- multiple investigations into the AV mishap from the summer of 2020. And with those recommendations implemented and sustained, the AAV is a safe and effective vehicle for amphibious operations, reads a statement from the Marine Corps. That said, given the current state of amphibious vehicle program, the Commandant of the Marine Corps has decided the AAV will no longer serve as part of the regularly scheduled deployments or train in the water during military exercises. AAVs will only return to operating in the water if needed for a crisis response. This decision was made in the interest of the long-term health of the amphibious vehicle programs, plural, and future capabilities. The AAV will continue to operate on land, 76% 76% of its tasks are land-based. In doing so, we reserve the capability to reverse this decision should the need arise. So that was a statement issued yesterday um, by the Marine Corps. Um, Will, your thoughts on that? Yeah, there. I think there's a couple of big things. Item one, yeah, exactly what's happened to all the maintenance money that's been poured into those things for the last 40 years. 
So either the Marine Corps was incredibly incompetent, spent all that money, couldn't keep them maintained, something nefarious happened. Uh, that would be an interesting forensic uh, sort of accounting thing to figure out if you're in Congress. Item two, it, it, it shows that this decision means that the people that made the decision didn't fundamentally understand what happened in Camp Pendleton. Okay, let me let me um let me just add okay so the AAV 70s right what's uh, what's, what's older than the AAV the B52 still in service right still works gone through slept and and all the rest of it uh are there any other systems that we still use that are that old nothing the 15 the, the 45 nothing the 50 cal yeah, Mod That's the original design. Well, we uh, no, we we don't use the Mod Deuce anymore. There's a new model out there. Jesus. Jesus. Okay. So you have the B-52, which still flies, which is still effective. And so the point I would make is this: that you know, to kind of substantiate what Will's saying, if that money's allocated, like for B-52s, then they should still be flying. Yes. Because yes. we, we take those things to depot mate, level maintenance, we strip them all the way down to the metal, and we make them new. Yeah, and, and that's what that—that's what those slut programs, what at. right? Yeah, and so then the I think other though, part, the AV. This is like I think maybe the third AV in history that sunk that we know of, right? So I don't know how many Ospreys crashed, or God knows how many forty sixes crashed. No one ever said we're going to take these things offline. As a matter of fact, we flew that 46 way longer than we probably should have until we got the Ospreys up. And, uh, but because I think that's what I mean when I say who are people, who is the Marine Corps talking to when they make decisions? That is a decision that looks good for people who say, oh, safety first with the Marines, good for them. But the truth is that AV is a damn safe vehicle if it's maintained. And, uh, and, and there's no reason and to so do the, that. And then to say that oh, if there's an emergency, we'll use them. Well, say the emergency comes in two years. You're not going to have any drivers. Those guys aren't going to remember how to You're not going to be able to get those guys back. So you're going to have hundreds of AVs that you so presumably you're going to low boy back from Yuma or wherever the hell you're going to store them and get them back into service. It's just dumb. It's just dumb. They shouldn't get rid of it. They should have left part of it out. But Will made a point before we even started about, you know, the money for the programs, right? right? And and then um, I wish I could remember the other point that I just had on the tip of my tongue that, you know, where did this stuff go all these years? And now you're at a point where you, you do this reconciliation and you come up with a number that's going to take that it's going to take to fix them again. I mean, there's a little bit of a investigation into all of that that to me ought to be done. Like, what the hell ha- happened? And again, it goes back to Will's comment about the the Durs reports. Were you reporting things that weren't true? Were these vehicles always in this shape and you never reported it? And now, we, now that we've looked at it. Well, what the fuck were you doing before? Was nobody looking at it? Was nobody reporting the truth? That's that's, and that's the thing about when we say that we're going to take them out of service now for all these other reasons. 
I also think you're missing half of the investigation. The investigation showed material deficiency, but it also showed training deficiency and leadership deficiency. Right. So are we going to fix that? The actual cause of death was a leadership training deficiency. Yeah. So are we going to fix those? And yeah, then the idea that we're going to take a system which is fundamentally different from the other system in the program. The ACV and the AAV are fundamentally different vehicles. It's, uh, you know, it's a Subaru and it's a Ferrari. They're, oh, they're both cars. Well, they're a little bit different. Uh, and, And the point Jeff makes, all the capability to employ the system, i.e., the mechanics, the MOS trained drivers, et cetera, they are attrited to zero in four years. Yep. Right? They're attrited to 25% in three years. You all can do the math from there. So the idea we're going to have a boneyard full of these things that we're going to pull up for a contingency, that, that, is, that is the worst lie in the whole thing. Yeah. Just tell them. Let's sell them for scrap right now. We'll get more money out of them now than we than we will four years from now. Like the like the BHR. Yeah, <laughs> sell yeah. it to Taiwan. That I know yeah. that that hurt. That was unnecessary. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I want but, to apologize. But it's it's fundamentally re- well. Not only that, we're going to put them in storage somewhere, which costs money. Yeah, that. We're going to put a system in storage that we can never use again. Wait, uh, who said we're going to put them in storage? Well, what are we going to do? We're going to keep them. We're going to drive them on the land. Who? Us. No, no, no. no. The AAV battalion is going to keep them. Until they're replaced. Third tracks going to double in people. So there's going to be some people that are doing ACVs and some people doing AAVs. Exactly. Yes, we're going to have a mix. Why are you noting this with the details? going down. It's just not they cut a band so that they can have enough people in the end strength. Don't make me don't don't a make me platoon dis- out of eighth and I. Don't make so me make can, those kind of gigantic decisions for the Marine Corps, I, the band, and eighth and I, or operating force. Tankers and the snipers are going to become spare the, AV guys. <laughs> that, that, that's true. It's so we ridiculous. Of, man. We have a bunch of spare tankers. No, now, but but and tanks have tracks and AVs have tracks. So why can't they just do it? Okay, stop it. Um, <laughs> stop it. So, but my, my understanding is that as we take companies and we get the ACV, right, then we lose the AAV and the company goes and picks up its ACVs. And so we don't ever park them. We use them and then we, we get rid of them. Like we got rid of the BHR. Maybe, maybe that's, we're going to heel to toe this thing and just, isn't that the way you do it? You were in LA. But is the I don't I don't know what the procurement timeline for ACB is either. I, I thought you were a colonel. I was eight years ago. <laughs> These are the questions I would ask when someone came up with this. The, the idea goes because I look like this. I look up to you no, because no, of your knowledge. Like okay, we're over here. See, now you know, and we want to go over here. Stuff is, hold on, hold major. on, hold major. On. What's the answer? Hold on, <laughs> we're over here, right? And we want to go over here. And the Grand Canyon's in between. We're not going to worry about that part in the middle. A little fairy dust will be fine. We're on AAVs. We want ACVs. 
Yeah, that that yucky stuff in the middle. Let's not talk about. It. No, let's talk about it. Yeah, but it, it's I don't know. Maybe there there's probably a smart major who's got a good plan. Hey, let's let's leave majors out of this, okay? <laughs> Notice I said majors. smart major. The iron majors, Mac. You're an iron major. I was you guys the, did everything. I was the gom, the grand old major of the Marine Corps. I think I might have been the most senior mar- major in the Marine Corps when I got out. No shit, I did. And there should have been like a tie, like the bull, how like many, the bull uh, ensign. How many years did you? Have? <laughs> so you wear like a big pair of Oakleys on your how collar. Yes, yes. I, yes. I wear the I wear the shoulder epaulets on my collar. You got it. You got it. Uh, you got an oak leaf with a bursting bomb underneath it. Hoo, hoo. <laughs> How many years did you have here? I don't know. Um, no, we had majors that had 25 years. What? Yeah, oh, I became, yeah, yeah. I became a office. major in, and they mailed it to me in like 95, 96, something like that. And then I got, yeah, the, fuck, then I got the fuck out. And then I came, the fuck, then I came the fuck back in. And I stayed a major. Till when? 2015? That's nothing. Come on. We had majors long past that. Really? So I wasn't? They're prior enlisted guys. I wasn't the grand old major. LDOs. LDOs. That's their top rank. But how long did they have time in grade? How long did you have time in grade? (laughs) Sitting in fucking North Dakota. 11 years time in grade? More than that. Are you... Are you bragging about your inability to get promoted to fucking well, lieutenant colonel? I never, I, mean, I never, well, when <laughs> I came back, when I came back from Ramadi, Will, I thought I was like, I'm done. I'm never going to do this shit again, right? And so I'm like, like, I didn't, I don't, I never have been to a drill weekend in my life. And so I didn't, I never put a package in to be promoted. Larry Nicholson calls me and says, hey, will you go to Fallujah with me with RCT5? Do you need me? Yeah, I'll go. Okay. I'm not getting promoted i, I, I don't got do like anything. three years in grade all of it deployed i mean there's something to be said for that and then i then i go home and yeah. then, I'm, then i'm really fucking done and um and then dave Furness calls Matt, me and says hey let me give you, you want to go back you you should stop talking Why? or manpower is going to investigate and figure out that they got to call your ass back because you got like seven more years to do <laughs> So, <laughs> no, I'm maybe good. Maybe you should bleep this part of no, the show. No, I'm out. good because when you get NJP, they look at all that shit. <laughs> they they scrutinize they scrutinize your shit. So they in case they don't have to pay you and they can pull out a technicality. So I'm pretty sure I'm fucking legit, man. The um, hold on, Jeffrey, your thoughts on the AV, ACV, and and this? Well, the what they're what they're saying they're going to do is not practical because you need to at least, I mean, in, in theory, double the size of the, the troops, troop to task in AAV battalion to be able to do or an AA and the amphibious assault battalion because you have enough guys to run the ACVs and you need a bunch of spare guys to run the, uh, to, to run our armored vehicle on land, which I suppose will lope, will put on, uh, you know, uh, MPF type ships and send them over there or whatever or amphibs and they just you know pull up to the pier and get off after we've already secured the place but uh, it just hey, doesn't make Jeff, sense Jeff let me ask you a question do you think we'll change the name from AV to, a- to. AVOL armored, armored vehicle on land the AVOL if you yeah. drive 
if you drive over the bridge, the overpass to come into Del Mar, the first thing you see is on the roofs of all the big buildings, it says Yacht Yachts, which means you ain't tracks, you ain't shit. And uh, now they ain't tracks. So I'm <laughs> No, no, no. There's still, still tracks. No, they're not yeah. tracks. They're going to be wheeled. Oh. Those. It's going to be your yass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, that's those interesting. Guys experts at, at like repairing when they throw a track, that was a common thing, right? Putting the track back on, fixing that stuff. Um, well, let me tell you, those the, those are fuck- not relevant to the HD. I know, but those fucking wheels are gigantic, man. They're well, like the one Timmy has on his truck. They're they're huge. Yeah. I hear there's a the, that's a new vehicle, and it's got some bugs related Uh-oh. to the tires. So, do, you uh, know, do you know things that we don't know? Yeah, I talked to a guy who's been working with him for four months. You know, he knows a guy. He was a Marine Major Select. He's going to be the oh, opso of one of obviously. the guys. Like, he oh. uh, soon to be the Iron Major that you were uh, back, and he's uh, he's uh, you know he's telling me the um, the tires are uh, very good for you know traction and the deep sand that, like you'd find on a beach. But uh, at 29 Palms, they'd run over bushes, and they'd pop every time. So, hey, Mac, didn't, didn't LAR have big tire problems initially? At first? Yeah, we had a lot of problems. We had, we had, yeah, we had brake problems. We have, but again, yeah. if you look at, you know, remember the problems that CH-53 had? At the yeah, Echo? Yeah, out of the sky all Yeah, the time. I mean, fuck. And, and the Osprey, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it it's... Like, you look at the number of modifications to those airframes. Or, you know, they were into the thousands by the with the forty six. I think all of them come from a mishap or something. So, I mean, it's not it's not foreign, right? That you feel something. In when I was a lieutenant, and I got to LAR, uh, LAV battalion at the time. Um, it was the coding for the um, the brake system, the the, the pneumatic brake system. The coating inside the tank um, would would peel off and stick in the airline, and you'd hit the brakes and you'd get nothing because the line was blocked. And that's not a good thing when you got about fourteen tons going, however fast an LAV could go, and and whatnot. So I, I mean, I think those are normal um, problems. Uh, the, the, yeah. the, the, the taking the AAV out of the mix when you don't have the other system fielded yet, and then you gap a, a capability that is a cornerstone capability, which is, you know, forcible entry from the sea, right? Um, yeah, that's not, that's a big deal, in my opinion. It's a big deal. Tells me there's a lot of pilots up at headquarters Marine Corps. Well, Remember, it was the AAVs that uh, in Grenada delivered the superior performance because the Canadians were scared of them when they were under laying the SEAL team under siege. They they started running as soon as they heard the AAVs coming up the cliff at them, uh, come yeah. up the roads at them. So it was the yeah, AAVs. On the lands. Yeah, that, that, and, and, yeah, but we could still do that. Right. We could still do that, Timmy. No, no, no. We'll, I'm put, just we'll, put, them in a, we'll put them in a barge. We'll tow the barge to the, the land, to Grenada. I don't know if the barge has a ramp. Do barges have ramps, or will they, we how just drive over the lip? Uh, 
How much fairy dust you got in your fairy dust bag? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm hey, I've been around for a long time. That thing. You're using up your fairy dust big time. <laughs> that thing now. looks like Santa's fucking Christmas bag. Yeah, you put two of them. From, you take it from the desert in Yuma to the high water mark somewhere in the yeah, third it's world. Yeah, that's not practical. That's a lot put, of fairy dust. You right put two there. of them on an LCAC. You probably put three of them on an LCU. And uh, but then you have nothing else. You can't put anything else on those. On the LCU. No, I think I think he was I think he was toying with me, Jeff. Yeah. Well, hold on. Yeah, I mean, but I'm saying. Hold on, think about it. So if we're gonna do, well, they're not gonna go on deployment. So, well, well, so it really know, doesn't matter. How are we going to how are we going to get them to a exactly contingency? My that's my exactly my point. And and as Jeff already said, it's not an unsafe platform. If it's well taken care of, it's a perfectly safe platform. Well, what ha Timmy? What happens if what, what happens if between the trackers and the maintenance management people, they weren't well taken care of? No, no, no. I said if they're well taken care of, they're a reliable vehicle. There's right. no reason to get to sh be shit canning them. I, that, that's all I'm saying. I hadn't I hadn't weighed in on this. I'd topic. be curious to know the data behind the shit can decision. Yeah, yeah, that, that'd be, that would be interesting. Accounting of what's happened to the money that's been going to that program for the last twenty years. Did you just say forensic accounting? Yeah, I did. Hey, we <laughs> talked before we came on the air that we we're going to try and up the game a little bit here. <laughs> Jeff hasn't Jeff hasn't quoted Shakespeare yet, so there's nothing new under the sun. There's the Bible. <laughs> that's that's Isaiah. <laughs> how about CVs? Except how ACVs, about, they're pretty new. <laughs> how about fear doesn't give you power? Truth does. Who's that quote from? Stalin. Oh, Stalin. Ah, Abraham Lincoln, vampire killer. I was just watching it before you came on. <laughs> Fucking awesome, man. Like young Abe wheeling his axe around, often vampires left and right. I never, I missed it when it came out. But that's a quote from Abe Lincoln, vampire killer. There you go. Which which is about as that realistic sounds, as some of the stuff we're talking about in D.C. is. Jesus. That sounds almost as realistic as the movie I saw a couple weeks ago. The Man Who Killed Hitler and Then Bigfoot. <laughs> Starring Sam Elliott. Great flick. You guys should watch it. Get out. <laughs> now I'm telling the truth. Look it up, man. Oh. All right. Who killed Hitler and then Bigfoot. Okay. <laughs> uh, so we'll, we're going to go around. We're going to do um, – somebody sent me this. Hey, Mac, would you ask everybody uh, when they talk about what are they reading now, would you ask them to talk about their favorite movie? And they can only pick one. So, Timmy, what are you reading and what is your favorite movie? Um, I'm, I am, I'm sorry. I'm still stuck on the Comanche thing. So I'm gone back to reread the Fahrenbach Comanche book. And, uh, so I'm going to be, I'm going to be like a Comanche heavy for, for several weeks now. I'm, uh, I'm all confused, but I'm enjoying going back and, and reading through the Comanche literature. Favorite, Favorite movie. movie. We've actually done this once before. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Breaker Moran, my all time favorite movie, just a, a wonderful tale of gutless officers Brave staff NCOs, you know, and beautiful scenery. Goddamn cinematography, superb. Yeah, it's my favorite. It's one of my favorite uh, movies of all time. One. It is a great one. Mm -hmm. w William? Yeah, I'm reading right now a book called Retreat from Kabul by George Bruce. Oh. The History of the First Anglo-Afghan War. Yeah. It's really good. Elphinstone. General, that fucking idiot, well, Elphinstone. 
Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Here's a quote. Here's a quote from a guy named Not. Who? Guy named who? Was, guy named what? Not. K N O T T. No, actually N O T T in this book. Not. Okay. But he was a guy that was like the uh, uh, Van Riper of the British Army in Afghanistan, but he was not selected to be the commander twice. And in a letter he says, I cannot alter my nature. I cannot conceal my hatred and indignation at the oppression, cruelty, and dishonorable conduct, and therefore I am unfit for the scenes passing this country. I cannot bend my spirit or bring my mind to their level. Consequently, I must suffer the injustice of those dressed in authority. Basically, he was too much of a man's man to be in charge of this thing. Interesting. 1840. That is, that is, a, that is a historic fuck story, for sure. That 1840, that yep. quote. Where was that guy in the last 20 years? That being said. Oh, he'd be dead. Uh, and, yeah, George Bruce, Retreat from Kabul. It's really good. And you know what, Jeff? It's going to make me go back and reread Flashman. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Flashman, that's, yeah. Flashman's a great way to get interested in finding out stuff, you know? Because he, uh, he talks about all these guys that are here, and now I'm reading in history. My all-time favorite movie, The Godfather. Which one? One? Uh, yeah, the first one, of course. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right, Jeffrey, what are you reading in your all-time favorite movie? Well, I've, I'm between books. I'm not reading anything. I'm what? Kind of yeah, that's why I was asking Will about that thing he mentioned. Um, because I was, I'm, I'm doing paperwork for my job, and uh, it's daunting to me. But uh, and also, we did the RQP2 thing, and that was very good. Um, you know, but uh, but anyway, my favorite movie. Those are great movies you guys mentioned. It reminds me of a bunch of other ones. There's so many good ones. But I have to say my favorite movie of all time, Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz. Everything you need to know is is encapsulated in the scene where the wizard gives everybody, like he gives a lion a medal, and he gives uh, you know, he gives the fucking uh, the Tin Man a heart and shit. And he, you know, and uh, it's just a good flick from start to finish. And it's funny too because that book was written as like a um, as a political type satire book against the idea of uh, you know that uh, people should move to big cities and shit like that and uh, work in factories. Progressive, but then was known as progressive, you know. And uh, but it was a great flick, and uh, you know I, I, every time it's on, I sit there and watch it. My favorite character is the Cowardly Lion. You know, but, uh, you know, it's just a great flick. Anyway, that's it. Hey, I just I just put in the chat window a photograph of the of the hill with a 44th foot and at their final end down there in in in, uh, in Gandamak at the Gandamak. Gandamak yes. yeah. yeah. So you'll look. So that's the most recent book published on it in which I get credit for the photograph, because as far as I know, I'm the only Westerner that got there. That well, was you know, a little bit of a trip. Some books I, I, I read about that. There's there's. This guy, Byron Farwell, who wrote a, a great biography of uh, Stonewall Jackson, uh -huh. he wrote these books about English. He, one called Eminent Victorian Soldiers, which I we talked about before. Yeah. One of the, books I the other one, um, Queen Victoria's Little Wars. And they're vignettes. But at least four of the vignettes in both books 
or about that uh, retreat. Yeah. Because it was uh, – and then later on you go into uh, guys like uh, Lord Roberts, who actually was in the service at that time in India and saw the results of that. And he was, he was the guy who the Brits called the second Afghan war, like 1870-something, as the, the, the victory. And then the third one was in the 1920s when they just said, fuck it. Like most other people said, Afghanistan, the juices were not worth the squeeze. And they just left. Hey, to go back to Wizard of Oz, I can testify, eastern Kansas is not black and white. But western <laughs> Kansas gets pretty black and white. Really? Yeah. Do we know exactly where Dorothy was? And where the it house? Was, do we know which part of Kansas? It had to be somewhere. It had to be somewhere. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was a soundstage. 50 miles south or west of Kansas City. It starts to get flat and gray out in those parts. Do you attribute your ability to do that analysis to your father's engineering prowess? You know, my father's favorite movie of all time is Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. yeah. So we, he was a big Judy Garland fan. Really? You, got, you can't beat the lyrics of that the, the Lion song. It's rough, I tell you, Missy, when you're born to be a sissy without the vinegar. You know, it was just fucking so much. It was not, Every minute of it was good, you know? Can you sing more of that song? I can. Let's hope not. I can sing more. Um, Go ahead. Okay, let me sing. Let me think. Oh, how, how's Elisa? It's rough, I tell you, Missy, when you're born, I, I'd be. Uh, this is awful. Oh yeah, he'd say he'd say he'd say um, I'd be a, if, if if I only had the nerve because they're all saying well, what they need. If I only had a brain, if I only had a heart, if I only had. He goes, I I would be a, I I would be a, not afraid to show my prowess. Be a lion, not a mouse. If I had the vim and verb. do 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 do. Yeah, that's ridiculous. But that yeah, that was uh, it was just fucking great. It is great. Well, hold on, I didn't. I didn't record that. Can we do that again? Oh no, <laughs> I did. That we'll, looked cool. Hey, it'll. We'll play it at his funeral. So a lot of people are going to say a lot of things about Jeff, but we want you to hear him sing the song that the cowardly lion sang because he did that for us one day, <laughs> right? Um, I'm reading. If I were king of the forest. I'm actually. I'm. I'm actually listening to a book entitled "Stillness Is the Key." It's uh, by a guy named Ryan Holiday, who wrote, who wrote The Daily Stoic. And uh, he talks about, again, more writing about Stoic philosophers and some Buddhists, about slowing things down uh, and how great uh, thinkers, great philosophers, great athletes uh, had the ability to slow things down and uh, one of the keys to their greatness. Um, uh, and I would tell you, uh, my favorite movie is It's a Wonderful Life. I did not uh, particularly care for the uh, Wizard of Oz. It scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. Well, I didn't really care for it. It's <laughs> a wonderful life. I thought I was insipid, but that's you know. No, that's I, why I, we have like that 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 fucking witch, man. I did not care for her one bit. She scared the like shit. It's like my out. aunt Rosie, man. My aunt Rosie. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. You're a little drunk too. Those fucking monkeys and shit. I did not like like oh, yeah. Flying monkeys. I'll be in my I'll be in my bedroom playing with my GI Joes. 
<laughs> That's why we, uh, you know we were in Portland, Oregon at an RSCO's conference when they had a convention for the little people that started in that goddamn movie. And and <laughs> reaction to them we cannot discuss on air, but talk about it. I think a good they weekend. don't call them midgets anymore though. I think they call them don't they call them little people now? Yes. I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean anything by it. They call themselves midgets. So it was a reunion of sorts. Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, it was. So how would in that? Por- they had in Portland, in up. Portland, Oregon. In Portland, Oregon. Why? The whole goddamn hotel was full of them. Had something to do with uh, with the actors in the, in Wizard of Oz. Had to be the descendants thereof. I know some of them looked like they were pretty old, but. All right. On all that, right, boys. On that note, I will. Yeah. I will talk to you all. That'll do it on a Thursday. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Uh, That conversation, after it ended, went on for another hour about nothing. Um, But it was funny, as my friends are. Anyway, thanks for listening here on a Thursday. Uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy holidays to everybody else. And uh, if I can help you help somebody... Holidays can be a difficult time of the year. Uh, please don't hesitate. Uh, it's what I do. It's what I enjoy doing. And I don't care what time of day or night it is. Don't be afraid to reach out. Because uh, uh, this time of year is really hard on people. Right? People whose family situations are less than uh, um, we design them. Right? In the fairy tale lives that we put in front of everybody. Uh, people who've had traumatic events and they're suffering through the loneliness and loss of life. Um, so uh, don't forget them. Reach out to them. Right? Make sure they know that you care about them and that you're there for them. And if I can help you help them, uh, as I said before, do not hesitate. So on that note, uh, have a great day. Have a great Thursday. We'll be back on Monday. I'm Mike McNamara. This is All Marine Radio. I'm out.